Hey, hey, Cub fans, welcome back to Bricks Behind the Ivy. I am Jeff Rogowskis, a.k.a. Candid Cubs. With me once again is Sean Chapin, a.k.a. Hot Stove Cubbies. How you doing today, Sean? Oh, I'm doing great because Belly is back. I love yeah. it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think uh, that's one thing we can probably agree on made our weekends so much better. And I happened to be still trolling the internet at that time when the news came. And I'd finally decided to put my phone down and try to go to sleep. And I started hearing it vibrating. And I did not think it was going to be baseball news. I assumed <laughs> at that point at 1.30 in the morning, it was a family emergency that I was trying to ignore to fall asleep. And I saw the the great Jeff Passan tweeted out that Bellinger was coming back on that three-year deal. What were, what were your initial reactions? When did you find out about the Bellinger deal? Uh, first off, uh, we are no longer friends because you did not text me, hey, Bellinger signed at 2 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. I didn't find out until, uh, I don't know, it was 7 o'clock in the morning on, uh, what was that, Sunday or, yeah, or Saturday. Uh, it, it was, it just, it was great to wake up to that. Um, and to see the deal too, I mean, three years, 80 million. I mean, you can't ask for a better deal. You, you, you really can't if you're Jed. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that's a word I want to try to use less often is absolutely, but I find that I'm agreeing with a lot of your comments in already in episode two. You know, I think that's, uh, there's a whole Curb Your Enthusiasm episode about what the appropriate time is to still call people at night. And I'll know for next time when I'm on the internet at 1.30 in the morning <laughs> because I decided to stay up late with my friend and play video games like I was still in my 20s, not in my mid-30s <laughs> with several kids. I'll I'll text you next time. But yes, yeah, please I, do. I, I had uh, did an instant reaction on TikTok, a shameless plug to my TikTok, follow me on Candid Cubs, of the deal the next morning while I was on my way to uh, no free ads, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, to get uh, my coffee because America doesn't run on Dunkin', uh, Candid Cubs runs on Dunkin', and when you have kids <laughs> the, and you stayed up till one thirty in the morning, you need a little extra boost, but... Yeah, I couldn't believe how reasonable that deal was. I think one thing we had noted in the podcast last week was our concern that there was going to be this team-friendly deal that was not the Cubs and how very different we would have reacted if this sort of deal yeah. had existed for a different team. Uh, but good for Jed. I think uh, there's probably some folks out there that owe him a little bit of an apology uh, for his strategy. I know that, you know going on X and down the the echo chamber of cub fandom there was a lot of frustration i will put myself in that group i will not uh try to dodge blame here but i, I just was worried about what was going on in the silence but at the end of the day jed got the guy and this lengthens lengthens his lineup significantly yeah, it really does. I mean, it provides insurance for first base for Bush, um, who I know you'll be touching on later. Um, it allows PCA to get some more seasoning um, in Iowa, and he'll be waiting the wings for his opportunity. It, it just makes the roster so much better. Adding one player like Cody Bellinger to this roster 
just provides a huge impact. I mean, I went from a C minus grade to a B plus grade with just adding Bellinger, especially to that contract. I mean, I do not want to look at it from the perspective that Jed beat Boris because I, I don't look at it like that. I think this is actually a really good deal for Cody as well, because if he steps up and plays like last year or even touch below last year, he, he's going to get that big contract and he's going to get that six to eight years. Somebody's going to pay him. And because I think he'll kind of silence all the critics with another strong year this year. But if he doesn't do well, he has a $30 million insurance policy. I mean, uh, just waiting for him, for him to opt into. Um, I'm just so ecstatic he's back. Uh, I think he provides that leadership. And we all saw what, without Cody on this team, looks like um, uh, when he was, you know, injured last year. And then also um, what it looks like when we were trying to work up lineups and saying, man, we just it doesn't look like a team on paper that would win the central without a lot of things breaking. Right. But now that he's on there, I'm feeling really confident, you know, that, that the Cubs are going to win that central division. I know it's, we're just spring training, but that's how optimistic I am. I think in another episode, we are going to do a preview of the division and kind of talk about mm-hmm. our thoughts, but I tend to agree that this does elevate this roster from that middling territory from all the different win projection territories that uh the cubs were in they were in that i think that like 78 and a half range this division is really just kind of compact together there's been very little i would say extremely aggressive moves the cardinals would be i would say the statistical darlings once again after last season being that heading into into 2023 but just it never really turned into what they thought it was going to be obviously there was a lot of early issues with Wilson Contreras and some of the comments with the pitching staff of we love him we hate him we love him we hate him and everything in between that just seemed really ridiculous from afar and I think it was extremely rare for that franchise to have some of this stuff just come out and bubble out into actual reportable media it just seemed to be, at least from my perspective and my youth, such a well-run ship. I'm concerned about complimenting the Cardinals on a Cubs podcast. I might get killed on Twitter, but they've Don't do they, it. Yeah, they've, they've <laughs> won so many divisions in this time frame and most of my youth. And there's that Cardinal devil magic. They always call some mm-hmm. random guy no one's ever heard of, and he's a monster. But maybe those things are starting to disappear as we've seen some trades not work out for them as they thought they would and you know that corners I I do love Paul Goldschmidt I love Arenado but you know they're not kids you know production does tend to decline significantly at a certain point so we'll see I mean yeah I guess I I don't want to spoil a whole episode's worth of content I could talk about this but yeah Bellinger to the Cubs puts them right at that CBT that first CBT threshold for that $30 million valuation. I had thought that CBT was calculated on the AAV, but when there's the opt-outs, it's actually calculated based on the individual year salaries uh, in that specific Mm -hmm. situation. So 30 million, the first $30 million man for the Chicago Cubs. I don't, 
round of applause yeah. for this front office. So. Well worth it. Well <laughs> worth it. Walking into the modern era of contracts, which yeah. I think a lot of folks would probably assume this front office wouldn't give out a contract like that. But yes, it's very extremely short term. But $30 million for Bellinger. Super excited to get back on this team. And just what it means, the ripple effects across the roster and the opportunities it creates for you know, trades, even at the deadline, there's just a lot more depth, a lot more options for Craig Council to play with the lineup. Mm-hmm. So I think today's episode, we had planned on talking about some things to watch for in spring training. This past Friday, the White, uh, the Cubs opened against the White Sox and won, uh, which was fun on a crosstown perspective. Mm-hmm. But the White Sox don't exactly have this very encompassing, complete major league roster they're in a very unique situation but still fun to watch some baseball on marquee with my kids and finally hearing the sound of a baseball on a bat and watching some highlights and some interviews this weekend it was nice to have spring training back did you get to catch any of the games this weekend yeah um i watched a couple of games um seeing brendan brendan davis go off uh (laughs) you know i mean that was just a beautiful thing to see because it's, I was very high on him and still am because I just think he, if he's healthy, he, he, I mean, he was a top, what was he? A top 25, top 35 prospect a couple of years ago. And then he went through the injuries. So, so seeing that, that was really cool. Um, also, uh, I didn't realize that the Cubs had so many pitchers that threw 97 miles an hour in, in the minor leagues. My gosh. Um, seeing, seeing some of that, um, and, and the, the depth that they have with relief pitching and stuff is, is really encouraging. So I just, it was great to have that on TV. My youngest, um, uh, he, he always says, is there football today? Because we watch football every weekend. Uh, and he asked again, and I go, no, it's baseball season. And he, so he was downstairs watching and getting excited, really enjoying it. So baseball's back and I love it. That's always good. It's such a transition for me mentally <laughs> as baseball comes back. I always try to find something to fill that void during baseball offseason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we talked about last week, this offseason didn't exactly pro- provide much void filling. Just <laughs> just lots and lots of frustrated thoughts and <laughs> yeah. reanalysis. And I mean, on one hand, it probably is the reason this podcast exists is just not having to stew alone on these things. But on the other hand, yeah. it was it was a very, very long winter. Just glad, glad to see the boys and blue pinstripes back up again. So, yeah, I think what we're going to go over, uh, we both have kind of separated and looked into some players that were watching this spring. And we wanted to highlight a position battle. So I think we're going to start with some players to watch. I know we both, um, you know, kind of separated out the list. So this isn't going to be some surprise where we both have the same player. And if you are watching on YouTube, I think you're going to guess very quickly, which player Sean wants to watch because his shirt has his name on it. But if you're listening to the audio, I'm going to let you stew for a few more seconds until (laughs) Sean starts talking on uh, who the player is. Uh, Who's your player to watch this spring? Well, as my shirt says, I'm here for moral support, and that's my guy to watch the spring is Christopher Morrell. Um, first of all, he's one of my favorites. I, I think anybody who has the p- kind of passion that he has for um, uh, baseball and just people in general, I mean, you can't 
I don't think there's a nicer guy out there in, in baseball. So the um, man might have the most electric smile in the MLB. Oh my gosh. You heard I it mean, here Lindor, first. Lindor <laughs> might have a, I mean, he might have a battle with Francisco Lindor for, for best smile. <laughs> Maybe we could do an entire podcast on the best smiles of major league baseball, but. Coming um, soon to yeah. Bridge Behind the Ivy. Who has a more beautiful smile? Next oh. week. <laughs> <laughs> I like your movie voice there. That's great. Um, but uh, going back to uh, Christopher Morell, um, to me, the bat's just going to get better and better. I mean, we, we, we've already seen that. In 2022, had 379 at-bats and 16 homers, 235 batting average, 741 OPS. That's pretty good from a guy who got called up from double-A. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's really impressive. And all he did was get better last year. I mean, in right around the same at bats, three hundred and eighty-eight at bats, twenty-six home runs. So he he you know um, ten more home runs than than twenty twenty-two, two forty-seven batting average increased that, and then an eight twenty-one OPS. I mean, I just feel for Morel. He's just going to continue to get better with the bat. But one of the things I really wanted to watch over spring training. Um, and touch on a little bit is his walking K rate. Um, in the grand scheme of things, whenever you see somebody, you know, working and walking K rate, something else usually has to be sacrificed, whether it be power, what, you know, whether it be um, good contact, things like that. But one of the things that just really jumped out to me, and a lot of this I got off of fan graphs, um, is um, in 2022, he had a walk rate of 8.9% and a K rate of 32.2%. Um, in 2023, uh, not much of a difference, 8.4 walk percentage and a 31% K rate. What I want to see Morell do in um, spring training is better pitch selection. I think with just a little bit better pitch selection, um, you're going to see that, that uh, K rate drop and the walk rate even increased and then also you're going to see better contact because he does a lot of damage with um, pitches in the strike zone um the the thing that really was interesting is pitchers aren't attacking him in any, any different his percentages of fastballs have been level across the past two years same things with breaking pitches and off-speed pitches and um the thing is is that he's only making uh uh his swing rate is only like 33 percent um when um uh outside the zone and um he's only making contact 50 percent of the time with that pitch outside the zone so he needs to do most of his damage within the strike zone and his contact rate within that strike zone is that that 73 percent mark um so really if he can just drop that swing rate down by 30 percent it's going to force pitchers to throw him more strikes because he's not going to be chasing those pitches. It kind of reminds me of back when uh, Alfonso Soriano was on the team. Man, you knew you can get him on that slider outside the zone almost every single time he had that long swing. You can get him with that slider. Um, then you started seeing him as he progresses, kind of laying off that pitch. And then what do you know? He started getting more pitches in the zone. I think the same thing's going to happen with Morrell. Um, and really, I just want to see him be better in spring with pitch selection and start seeing some improvements within his K rate and his walk rate and to get more pitches in the zone where he can do that damage. 
Yeah, Christopher Morrell is a really interesting player. I think there was parts of this offseason that wondered if he was going to be dangled in a trade, given mm -hmm. I think there are some Cub fans out there that compare Christopher Morrell very much to Javier Baez. Uh, there's uh, the energy. I think there's a little more of a positive energy. Not saying Javi wasn't positive. Javi was a spark plug for sure. But mm -hmm. Christopher Morrell is the smiling man, as we've already gone over. The guy's always smiling. It's just great to see. But, yeah, the K rate and the power, as you talked about, is something that I think Cub fans wondered if, you know, he held on to that, that card too long. I think that 2016 and his performance in NLCS, Javier Baez, we're talking about specifically, yeah, kind of, you know, wipes that away for me. He was super dominant, but that's just the player he is. He's that classic, gets hot for two months, and those two months really just carry his stats for the whole season where, you know, a Major League Baseball player is kind of hoping for that consistency. I do like some of the points you made about his, his pitch mix. It is really interesting, just kind of taking a look myself, that it really didn't change. Uh, one thing mm -hmm. that I would say kind of jumped – uh, based on data I'm seeing in Baseball Savant, is he did get, it looks like, a higher volume of off-speed pitches on the put-away pitch. So I wonder if he can improve recognition of that changeup. I wonder if that's going to be something to look forward to. And another thing that will be interesting on a managerial perspective is will they protect Morrell if he's not playing third or, you know, on days, will he sit versus pitchers that have, you know, a higher usage of their changeup? Or will we yeah, see pitchers that point. have a changeup use more changeups on him? I'm interested in how Craig Council managed that versus how David Ross did manage that. Uh, so that'll be, I think, something to look out for. But, yeah, if you look at his, his baseball savant page, there's just so many things to love that just pop out. The, oh, the favorite... Know. The favorite color on baseball savant is red. Red is good. And mm -hmm. yeah. um, he's, he's in the he's in the 90th percentile on that barrel rate and the hard hit rate. And when he does hit it, he's on the higher end of that average exit velocity. But yeah, like you said, the K's, the strikeouts is something, you know, that he needs to manage. And, you know, defensively, he has a really strong arm. It's been noted how hard he can throw and trying to take advantage of that skill on the field as well as I think something the Cubs are looking to do. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's really telling is if you look at the projections that most, you know, most sites out there are projecting him, they're projecting him to either be equal to last year or slightly below. And that's kind of going back to my previous point. I mean, if, he's able to adjust just a little bit. He's going to blow those projections all out of the water. I think he's the same player as he is, you know, last year, just because of his God-given talent. You know, I, I still think he's going to beat the what he did last year because we're seeing an improvement from 2022 to 2023. What's to say we're not going to see more improvement, especially at his age. Um, but yeah, just decreasing that K and that chase, you know, let, let's not chase outside the zone. That's easier said than done because I haven't faced a 98 mile an hour fastball followed by an, you know, 87 mile an hour slider that, that, you know, breaks <laughs> towards my kneecaps, um, I, I, you know, but um, yeah, it's just, 
it's just something that I really want to see. And I, and I'm going to look, looking forward to seeing that. And um, as well as his defense, I mean, I, we, we can, we can hit on that. He needs to improve defensively. And I think that starts exactly what council says. We just got to put him in there, put him in there, let, let him, you know, take his bumps and everything else and take it into the season. I don't think there's any harm in doing that because of the bat itself. Um, so, I mean, that, that's really uh, where I'm at. I, you know, I was, I was thinking uh, Ryan Braun started at third base, correct? And he yes. did he did not do well there at all, if I remember correctly. That's why he got moved out to the left field. Um, but they gave him time at third. And I think you, until you get live game action at third over a long span of time, let's just see how he does. Let's see how he does. And if it doesn't work out, you have a backup plan. You can put him at DH. You can, uh, you know, when um, Nico needs needs uh, some time, you know, you put him at second base, at outfield for a spot start. He, you know, he has that versatility. He's a great athlete. Um, but just give him time at third. Let's do it. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously when you're thinking about the metric a lot of folks look at and building a successful baseball roster is wins above replacement that is accumulated defensively and offensively. And there are some players mm -hmm. that, you know, really lean very hard one direction or the other. And then there are some very special players that are amassing wins for you on both sides of the field, which is, you know, a little less common than maybe less common than it used to be. That is not a fact. That is, that is a statement, something that I will need to fact check myself on. But ultimately... Christopher Morrell has an OPS above league average, will be contributing slugging this team dearly needs. And we're going to get an opportunity to see that for a full season for the first time because there yeah. was the, the I don't know, galaxy brain decision to leave him at AAA at the beginning of last year. And I, I know they were trying to get some different guys run, but... It's a really hard argument to make that we were letting Nick Madrigal get run early in the season as best case scenario, a slapstick hitter when the team dearly needed slugging and this guy just absolutely racked triple A till May when he got called up. Yeah, I still remember uh, on Twitter, uh, X, um, a lot of folks that I follow were, you know, they're like, hey, um, has Morel got, you know, has morell got called up yet and it was every single day <laughs> i just i appreciated it because that that was in my head I, i'm like this guy is too good to be in triple a right now i always love those uh so long Ugh. i love those like fake twitter accounts or not fake but the twitter accounts that are did such and such happen yet and the only thing they tweet is yes or no and <laughs> i i think they've done that for random events in our lifetime and i do remember seeing one this offseason where it has cody bellinger signed yet and every day yep. i saw the tweet it was just no except this weekend now it's yes so that's yes. good news yep oh it's only good news because it's the outcome i wanted otherwise i would have a completely different tune to that account um but <laughs> yeah i yeah. think uh i think we hit a lot on christopher morrell um the player that i have my eye on is michael bush and a lot of that has to do with just the amount 
that the team itself has seemed to invest it in this opportunity for him. I think that when you trade prospects to get a higher end or older prospect that's positionally blocked, like Michael Bush was, I know he had a cup of coffee at the major league level last year towards the end of the year as the Dodgers were kind of looking to solve some second base issues. I know Mookie Betts will be playing second base this year for them. So second base issue solved for, I guess, <laughs> I mean, like you just get that plug in. Up. Yeah. A perennial <laughs> all-star who was a gold glover in the outfield, like who's super athletic. Now he gets to play second base, but yeah, yeah I'm not, not to say that, you know, Michael Bush is going to be Mookie Betts. That's not the point I'm trying to no, make. No, he said it. <laughs> Everybody said it. Michael Bush is going to be Mookie Betts. Right. Heard it here first. <laughs> but yeah, I think he's an interesting profile, and there's a lot of guys like this, I think, each offseason that a lot of different Cubs and Major League websites kind of target as trade candidates because of the the reality that some guys end up in an organization that has a perennial all-star that is just not going anywhere. Either they've signed a long contract or they've got a number of years left, and they're either around the same age. And in this case, for Bush, he was transitioning to first base, it's Freddie Freeman. He's not going to dispel Freddie Freeman. It's nice to have in the minors for the Dodgers if the, you know, Freddie gets hurt as an option, but they've got such a deep farm system. I'm sure this guy wasn't necessarily something that's uh, the top of their priority, but yeah, he's already 26 years old. He was drafted, uh, you know, pretty high by the Dodgers in 2020, I believe in the first round. And he's from North Carolina he went to college there and was already an advanced bat, uh, similar to like Matt Shaw for the Cubs right now. You get these guys that have a lot of seasoning on them. You're thinking that there's a little more predictability in what their offensive output could be, and you'll figure out the defense later. So for Bush, that's really the situation for him, and he did everything you need to see at AAA. Like the guy absolutely destroyed there, especially last year um, when he played at Oklahoma City. He had 323 with a 431 on base percentage and 618 slugging, which puts him in the one dot club for OPS, which is. That is just ridiculous. I yeah, mean, those are video game numbers. I mean. Ex- exactly. And really, what they wanted him to work on was reducing his strikeout rate, which he went from 26.1 in AAA the year before to 18.8. That's, that's a huge He's doing drop. Every- Doing everything he's asked to do, but you're, they're like, eh, we have Freddie Freeman. <laughs> exactly. So I, I commend, you know, Jed and Carter looking into this guy. I know they gave up a guy that, you know, I was tracking a little bit more. And then one I hadn't been tracking, Jackson Ferris, left-handed pitcher, and Zaire Hope in this deal. Jackson is really young. He was a high school arm when he was drafted. He did some pretty interesting high K-rate stuff over at Myrtle Beach. And I can't recall if he finished at South Bend last year, but definitely an intriguing arm, especially in the youth. Had, you know, a pretty good pedigree, especially when you get drafted out of high school into the major leagues. There are some expectations that come with that, but there's also, you know, time. You have to wait. And, you know, personally, I always struggle with pitchers in this modern era. Um when is that first Tommy John coming? If they're going to be throwing, you know, high velocity, depending on their size, if they're curveball dependent, you know, there's, it feels like in 
the modern game. It's a matter of when, not if. So I'm not as upset with the gamble of trading Jackson Ferris away, but that could be a guy that we see on the Dodgers in a few years. And so I guess it's a little bit of a gamble, but that's what, when you build this large organizational depth, like the Cubs have been able to do in the last few years, these are the types of moves you want to see them make and going out and getting a left-handed bat that could have some pop in it when you needed a left-handed pop and can play first base. I know there's a lot of, a lot of folks out there that are saying this deal was more of a reflection of where they think Mervis is. It could be, it could be just an opportunity to get this bad. I do think it's interesting uh, in an article I was reading that Dustin Kelly has some experience, the Cubs current hitting coach with Bush from the 2020 season. So, you know, when these things happen, when organizations like grab other guys, like, I wonder if there's some input there. Did he see, he was quoted in the article after the trade about how much he liked his short, compact, quick stroke. So that is something that I'll be keeping an eye on, especially too. Dustin Kelly obviously was a favorite of Cody Bellinger, which, you know, keeping him here and with a hitting coach he's comfortable with, that's great news. And, you know, seeing what, you know, obviously health being a factor with Cody, but getting back to that philosophy, maybe that's something, you know, Michael Bush will benefit from. So I know he made his spring debut. We're recording on Monday, February 26th for this episode that is going to come out on Friday. He made a spring debut today and he walked and he hit a single, which in the video I saw, the game was not on marquee. There was an individual who recorded from the stands. The ball sounded so whacked. It had a really nice sound off the bat. I love the bat path through the zone. I always talk about the longer you can keep the head of the bat in the zone, the better likelihood of contact. And it looks like that uh, he's got a... Sh- like just a very quick stroke. So I'm I'm really excited to see what he does. Uh, one thing from his cup of coffee versus what, you know, he did in the minors. His, uh, I always look at betting averages, balls and play as a sustainability metric for mm-hmm. different baseball players. And, you know, I think obviously like that batting average can tick up with home runs because no one's going to catch that ball. But if you're hitting, you know, softer line drives or higher ground balls, you're going to you're going to see that thing dip pretty well. And I was actually kind of surprised how low the the bat pip was for the major leagues in two, uh, 2023. The average major league baseball had a 290 bat pip. And when um, Michael Bush got called up, his bat pip was like 260 which isn't terrible not like mm-hmm. slightly below his numbers obviously weren't great the k's were definitely there he struck out a bunch but he is a very small sample size and i'm such a firm believer in the anthony rizzo philosophy of get these guys out there find out what major league guys are doing to you and go home and make those adjustments like those adjustments aren't going to come in season you're yeah. already as a as a long tenured terrible baseball player, I've always tried to tinker with my swing all year, and that just made things so much worse. And these guys know better than that. So I'm excited to see what he did this off season. When he was in when he was raking last year, his batting average in balls and plays was three thirty seven, which you know feels kind of high, but when he's hitting as many doubles and in home runs as he did. He had 27 homers, 26 doubles with uh, AAA Oklahoma City last year. That makes a lot of sense. And even if he was 
you know, in that 300 to 320 range and he gets that walk number up a little bit. I mean, that's a pretty productive Major League Baseball player and yeah. a position of need. And from the side of the plate that I really want the Cubs to have more diversification on, I just don't think we've had really solid lefty bats. It's kind of a premium, which really just leads back to our last episode. We should have got Bryce Harper. But anywho, moving on with my life, <laughs> Michael Bush is the guy that I'm looking to watch. Uh, I love Michael Bush. Um, and, and part of that ha- comes from, I just have this weird infatuation with lefty bats that have a lot of power. I mean, if, if you go through uh, and start searching my, my Twitter, you, you'll find out I had a, a very obsessed love of Joey Gallo and even before him, Adam Dunn, uh, because I just, I, I, big lefty, you know, big lefties who can hit the ball out of the ballpark and hit the buildings across the street regularly is something that, that that's awesome. Um, one question I have for you are, is, do you feel that there's any concerns with Bush at first? Obviously third, he did not grade out well at all. Uh, and I'm just curious to know your thoughts defensively at first um, to put you on the spot. Uh, what's your thoughts there? Well, as they told Scott Atterberg in the movie Moneyball and in real life, first base is not hard. And Ron, <laughs> Washington, Ron Washington quickly corrected Billy Bean and said, it's very hard. So ultimately, I think, you know, time will tell. I, I don't want to quote Billy Bean, but first baseman isn't a position that requires athletic prowess. I do worry about, we were so privileged for so long to have Anthony Rizzo, who is a very sure handed first baseman. And this infield is not error prone, not wild throw prone with Dansby and Nico up the middle. It will be interesting to see if they run out Christopher Morell at third base with the bazooka, but and throwing at Michael Bush, who is trying to learn a new position for space. Footwork would probably be an issue. He does have experience in the infield, which means to me that it would transpose effectively to the first base spot better than some others. So I think it's going to be how well he can scoop and how well he can, you know, kind of manage around the bag. That's such such a big part of playing first base is knowing when to stretch, when not to, when to eat throws, those types of situations. I think it's going to take time. I think that's one thing I do worry about on the corners for the Cubs defense is the lack of experience potentially there. A problem that could be solved if at some point, if Pete Crow Armstrong is absolutely tearing it up, you can put Bellinger at first defensively and Michael Bush could slot in depending on how they're going to manage the lineups at DH. Uh, I know that there has been some writings out there about potentially maybe early on, or maybe not at all. Michael Bush, Patrick wisdom platoon, you know, get Michael Bush going on feasting at right-handed pitchers. Not that he's traditionally struggled versus lefties, but Patrick wisdom has traditionally feasted on lefties. So getting his at bats that way, Patrick Wisdom has some experience at first base, but yeah, I think that defense to me is something that I value maybe more than most. 
and outfield defense is something that I would love to study a lot more. And hold on, baseball nerd alert. Everybody get ready. This is gonna get this is gonna get real nerdy real quick. So I have a theory of outfield range factor and bat pit management and wondering if outfield defense, given the new age of baseball, is where elite defense and elite run prevention is born, meaning the more range an outfield can cover instead of just an individual outfielder, the less likely you're going to have the noise of a fall in line drive. So a team that I had read an article from a baseball research person that I found on LinkedIn looking into some different baseball research opportunities and trying to learn more about the sabermetric certs and things like that as uh, this is kind of a passion of mine that had talked about the Astros being nearly like far and away at the cream of the crop of outfield rage factor and bat pit prevention. And to me, that would explain some pretty reasonable sustained success as they've dropped off, you know, some of that infield talent, some of the offense and, you know, have been able to continue to just dominate the ALS. So yeah, I don't know how we got on this tangent and I feel just very, very nerdy. But that's for a conversation for a different Nerds. day. Nerds. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I, I, I like that. Uh, that. That's definitely something to look into. And, and, I mean, if you looked at stats 20 years ago, you think we'd ever be talking about OPS and and all of that? And, I mean, like, really. So I think that provides a lot of value. It's definitely something you should look into further. Look at past outfield defenses and, and, and how it relates to, um, you know, how it relates to success throughout playoffs and, and winning percentages and stuff like that. I think it's fascinating. I love stuff like that. Especially too, if you think about the 2016 Cubs having the highest rated defensive team in history that, and that's not, that's not a superlative. That's not nonsense. That is an actual fact. Mm-hmm. and how good that team was and it really was and you know you'd think given Joe Madden and all the other things it was shift based and all these things but it really was athleticism across that field you had Addison Russell who was just a hell of a defenseman and mm-hmm. Javier Baez up the middle you had Chris Bryant who was serviceable at third base and Anthony Rizzo who I believe it was that your recently or shortly after that he won the platinum glove at first mm-hmm. base and climbing tarps and walls to get foul balls. And I mean, Dexter Fowler didn't have an outstanding defensive reputation until the Cubs kind of looked into his strengths and positioned him differently. But that outfield defense was pretty solid too. Even as if you think about like Kyle Schwarber didn't need to take a place out there because he got hurt so early in that season, they were playing guys out there that were, you know, defensively a little bit better than that and not sacrificing a lot of offense. So, yeah, it's definitely something to, to think about. And before we go down that nerd rabbit hole, I think uh, I think it's the perfect time to transition to our final spring training watch topic, which would be position battles. Uh, every Every year there are across Major League spring training camps 
jobs up for grabs and individuals get non-roster invites and all these different things they get added to 40 man to see if there is an opportunity for these players to play on the major league squad making an opening day roster is still a very big deal and some guys maybe they don't stick the whole year but that opening day thing is something they can't take away from you there's the pomp and circumstance i'm sure as a player it's very special so we kind of picked two position battles that we thought were you know key to this off season for the cubs or this spring training season and the one that i picked was the fifth starter spot which i think is really interesting as we sit today with the availability of Jordan Montgomery and thinking about how he could slot in this rotation. I think before I go too far down that rabbit hole, given where the Cubs are on that CBT threshold, Theo used to leave like a cushion in the budget for any salary that needed to be acquired at the trade deadline mm-hmm. and to address team needs and such. The Cubs are very, very close to that threshold. So I either they've, decided they're going to go over it if these deals get into a range where they think it's appropriate and works with their timeline or they're done um and i think that will be interesting to see in the next few weeks because if the cushion is truly the cbt threshold uh, i i just don't see them adding but uh, i i did a decent amount of research in the opportunities that are available for this team uh one of my uh partners in crime over at Northside baseball brandon glick actually wrote an article that's pretty solid that gets into the nitty-gritty about the fifth starter role and i i would recommend going to check it out if you want some additional details but to me i think it comes down to probably javier Assad and drew smiley just based on the volume of work those guys got in that role, especially Javier Saad towards the end of last year. And then additionally, Drew Smiley is still on this roster, is still commanding a decent amount of salary. I think he probably has the inside edge of that job. They tried to Wow. You're you're surprising me right now with this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm like, when's he gonna say Jordan Wicks? When's he gonna say Jordan Wicks? Well, I'm oh, not wow, going to okay. not say Jordan Wicks, but, <laughs> and I think that's, this is where the rotation gets so interesting because there are four spots that are pretty locked up. I mean, that's, um, you know, and that's, that's what makes it challenging to really look at, you know, what, what this rotation is going to be and the opportunity for that fifth starter spot, you know, I, it, it leaves lots of opportunity for flexibility It'll be interesting to see how they manage Imanaga as he transitions to his workload in the United States, which is different than what he's used to. Will there be some spot starts in there? Will they carry like Assad and Smiley as long relievers? And this is this is even before we get into talking about exciting opportunities for this rotation on a stretch and like a Cade Horton appearance. He's obviously not going to break the club, but if we're talking long-term, Cade Horton is a guy that you're going to probably want to see for a spot start this year. He just blasted his way through the minors last year, some high K rates, some really exciting stuff. He's got, he was technically a gamble when he was drafted 
and people were confused by the Cubs pick, but they saw the pedigree and the rising of velocity and the trends, and it looks like so far, and based on his prospect ranking, that a lot of folks are on board with this gamble of when he was selected in the draft. And the MLB draft is so different with slot values and all these other things that kind of cap the ability to just kind of buy a bunch of people. So unless you're like a top three guy, every guy after that is just about managing slots so you have enough money to you know really take a risk on a second round pick where a first round pick is you know usually pretty safe trying to keep guys under slot value there's just a lot of calculus that goes into something that you know that i've not i'm not very well versed in but it's not it's not as black and white as the top 15 players are the best 15 players probably the top five players could be the best players and after that it turns into slot management games that front offices have to play to make sure they can maximize their return on each draft. But yeah, I think Jordan Wicks is a guy that I would really like to be in this rotation, but if they're not going to regularly get him starts or if early in the year based on off days and stuff, they're not going to get to that fifth spot in the rotation. He needs to stay ready at triple a and he has all the numbers of a guy that can be very successful in the majors. He has, you know, that change up that there's a great video of mic'd up Tommy Hadovy on Cubs Twitter and Cubs social media accounts where he's talking about talking to Jordan Wicks and just telling him, throw that change up, throw that change up. You might not have the feel for it right now on where it's going to go, but it's so devastating. and such a weapon. And it's fun to hear kind of the inside, inside baseball of how these guys are talked to about their arsenal, because I'm sure it's so interesting to me as someone who's not a starting pitcher, knowing that I wake up every day with different levels of energy and I don't know, just different versions of Jeff, we'll call it. And being a major league pitcher, I'm sure between all the warmups and stuff, you get on the mound and you don't have your a game or you don't have this so like you have to find a way to get outs and the guys that have been doing it for so long i'm sure don't have like their best location or fastball and all those things all the time and i think that that's probably a really interesting part of the transition to the major leagues is assuming when you get to the majors you have to be perfect and it was just really nice to hear tommy hadavi's perspective in that moment that coaching moment with jordan wicks especially since I feel the Cubs are very high on him. Um, he does feel like a left-handed Kyle Hendricks. Um, so I, I do want to see a lot of him this year. I think it just the early opportunities are probably going to go to guys that can transition and be a swing man out of the bullpen. And I just don't see them you know, cutting ties of the Drew Smiley, given the contract commitment they have to him no matter how much it pains me to, you know, kind of admit that because I'd like to see some of these other options as, you know, as we get going. But, yeah, Justin Steele, Kyle Hendricks, Jamison Tyone, Shota Imanaga, like those guys are set. So this last spot is just so hard to really, like, justify maybe some of the younger guys unless they really dominate in the spring because – I don't think you bring up that guy to like sit in the pen or not pitch every five days. So feet to the fire, you really believe that Drew Smiley is going to win that fifth starter spot? 
I think he's going to start with it. I really do. I think I know that there was some talk about him working on his repertoire this offseason, looking to add a different pitch. And we all know that he has kind of that reverse spin curveball that is extremely high usage. And when he is commanding, he is a very good pitcher. He was a very good pitcher for a good part of the season last year. When he loses that command, he is what he was at the end of the last year, a nightmare. Just a straight, straight nightmare to watch. We didn't know where the ball was going. And it's just, it's really tough for me to like talk myself out of Drew Smiley because of mm-hmm. how much I did not like him coming out of the pen. And until, you know, there is some sort of indication that the Cubs are going to move on from him or, you know, have a trade or it can be able to get him off of this roster in a way that is appropriate besides just cutting him and, you know, losing that money or eating the contract. I think it's going to be really hard to justify someone else in that spot. And then it kind of opens the door for Javier Saad and Hayden Wisniewski as swing guys in that bullpen. Uh, Cause I keep thinking about bullpen management as much as I'd love to see Hayden Wisniewski get another opportunity to start, like we really need to see him develop a pitch that can get the lefties out. I think that changeup is going to be key there. He had just an absolutely electric debut in 2022. And then the walk rate creeped up. And I, I just didn't feel like the ball looked as crisp coming out of his hand last year. Like when he, like when he, after that trade, after he pitched a little bit in 2022, he just had that swagger, that like starting pitcher swagger. And I don't know if he just got humbled a bit last year, but it just didn't, it didn't return for me. And yeah, that his record versus lefties is, is just terrifying. He was torched. (laughs) So until he gets a feel for a pitch or a strategy that can effectively get lefties out, he's a, he's a really nice swing piece. Uh, but yeah, I think it is Drew Smiley's job to rule lose. Wow, like like I am. This is going to be the first time that we disagreed on some. I actually like Smiley as a long reliever or um, somebody coming out of the pen. I thought towards the end of the last year he looked pretty good coming out of the pen. Um, but are you really going to pay? What's he making? Twelve million, fourteen million, something like that. Are you really going to? have a long reliever make that amount i think you have a good you know you might have convinced me a little bit that he might have the inside track i just don't know how you can step away from a a wix or an assad out of that fifth spot or maybe they surprise us and and do work out a trade because i think smiley does have value there now i also know like you said that he he's worked on on some stuff this year and maybe he just proves out that he's the better pitcher out of the group. So it's going to be really fun. Um, for, uh, you know, fun battle to watch for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, he's got 10 and a half million dollars committed for this year. They yeah, gave okay. him that, that two year, like 19 million. So it was like 18, eight and a half last year and 10 and a half this year. So, I mean, that's, that's an expensive bullpen piece. No, that's not. They, they, oh yeah. Not, not anymore. I, it's one that, yeah, on a team that's starved for strikeouts from the rotation or and from their pitching staff in general, that's not a guy that I want really in the bullpen. But mm. I'm not exactly jazzed about him in the rotation either. Yeah. Um, 
unless he can really manage that fly ball rate. I mean, I know that it's never been his modus operandi to be this like ground ball pitcher, but the Cubs really did untap something with, you know, just using the reverse spin and really heavy beating that curveball. And maybe maybe that, that fell apart. It seemed like he really lost the feel for that pitch at the end of last year. So maybe he finds it again. He's been on World Series rosters. I, he was on it with the Braves. He's, you know, he's been in this game a long time. He's struggled with injuries. He had, like, such, you know, promise early in his career and has really turned into a pretty solid baseball player. But, yeah, I think the contract to me, and not that contract should dictate this thing. It's it's interesting because I feel like, the, obviously, our we would agree the best player should get that spot. Yeah. But, this feels very similar in my brain to the Eric Hosmer situation. Oh God, I can't believe I said that. Yeah. It just, don't say uh, that. (laughs) like, I know he was on major league minimum, but it was just like, well, he's the first baseman. We got, we brought him in the B first base and they're going to give him some runway. It'll be interesting to see if that's what happens this spring. And the article that was, I read today that was written in the athletic about, what Craig Council has brought, like this dissenting opinion and the shakeup of the status quo and Jed Hoyer saying that he calls Craig Council and expects him to disagree with things he says, which is a change, which I'm not implying that there is this yes man mentality, but when you bring in a guy, especially Craig Council, who seems very, very intent on being hands-on in every part of the process and yeah, has it. even been found like in the analytics group looking at the Cubs proprietary Cubs like scouting software um that like in saying hey you're looking at the wrong data like this is wrong and this is how you should look at it and like that's what this article talks about I, I encourage you to read it I know that athletics are right. a prescription but I encourage everyone listening to read this article it really really just got me excited for what Craig Council is. And tying back to this situation, yeah, like last year, Eric Hosmer was kind of plugged in, and I think we were all kind of pining for Mervis or seeing if he was going to be kind of handed the keys. And obviously there's reason to believe that that shouldn't have happened. I wish they had a better option at first base in 2023, but I digress. So in this situation, if Jordan Wicks is super dominant in the spring and True Smiley is not figuring it out, then it maybe it is a t- tougher decision. But also, spring numbers are so weird. Like the, the guys are working on different things. Some guys yeah. get different types of runway than others. I mean, do you remember just the absolute panic that Dansby Swanson had? Like no hits in the spring last year. <laughs> We're like, yeah. we just get. <laughs> And he was fine. He just like was you know working on his timing and like doing his thing and. Like Ian Happ has said on the compound, which I think is when you know one of the better podcasts that just really humanizes a baseball player and like kind of gives you like what their thought process is. He said he uses spring to track as many pitches as possible to just see what guys got to make sure his eyes are ready for the regular season. And like he isn't sometimes he said he goes into a spring training game with the goal of to not swing at anything just so I can see as many pitches. And when you hear that perspective, it just like completely 
destroys this like idea of look how much this guy's crushing it like we don't know what these guys are working on we're not we're not privy to like the front office directives and yeah some guy hit nine million but like you only put him in verse guys that were only working on fastballs early in the spring so like baseball is such a a sample size game it's yeah moving on from the fist starter what position battle are you watching this spring um, I'm looking at uh, third base, uh, kind of going uh, back to my person to watch. You know, I really feel like the it's a position battle between three players, but in reality, I think it's more down to two. Um, and what's so fascinating about this is that we have three players that are completely different and bring different things to the table. Um, Madrigal brings the best defense out of the three, and the three that I'm talking about are uh, Christopher Morrell, Nick Madrigal, and Patrick Wisdom. Um, really looking at Madrigal brings the best defense out of the three. Um, Morrell brings the bad upside, but probably the weakest defense out of the group. And then Wisdom provides that elite power that you're looking for in a third baseman. Um, uh, and But the strikeouts and the huge regression in defense, which just blows my mind. He was so good at the hot corner. And then it just fell off. I just, that is just very mind-boggling to me. Um, so you you have three people there that are going to bring vastly different, you know, things to your lineup defensively and overall. So that's just like something really intriguing to me. Um, but again, it's spring training. Like like you said, it's kind of, it's kind of like creeping back in my mind there are things that we're going to want to see and things that we're going to want to, you know, take as tangibles from spring, but how much is it really going to impact things? And that, that's why I think it leans more towards morale. If morale's looking good defensively, you can't fake defense to me. You, you can't really fake that because a ball is going to be hit at you regardless. They're not going to hit a light ball to you just to see how you do. So I think that's where, you know, he can really step up and say, Hey, I'm making these plays. I mean, he made that diving stop. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say he had that yeah. yeah highlight reel this weekend uh, on a play. Not the best offensive game for the Cubs, but doesn't matter. We got to see a diving play. So moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So to me, like in order for a, a Madrigal to take the everyday third base du- duties, he's really got to do two things. He's got to, uh, you know, prove that he's a elite bat to ball guy that he was in the minors. He needs to hit ne- near 300. Now, is he going to do that in the minors? No, but I just, I want to see a lot of contact out of him and to kind of show like, man, maybe he's figured it out a little bit. And then he has to continue to do that above average third base uh, defense at third base. You you have to continue to see that. Um, again, going back to morale, the bat plays well at third question marks, defense um, to me, all he has to be is average or slightly below average at third base, and he wins that job. He, 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 to me, he wins that job. He's athletically gifted enough, I think, to sit there every day or most of the days and be that starting third baseman. I really believe that. Um, wisdom's on the outside looking in. Uh, he's got the biggest uphill climb. Climb um, is a good. Is a good spring really going to do anything for him? Now, um, he just has to 
to do a lot of things right. And I think a lot of things have to go wrong with the, the other two for him to step in there. So I really feel like Morel's the guy uh, uh, for third base. And I want to mention that we're, we're doing this um, uh, on Monday. And there is a lot of things out there that, that have piqued my interest, you know, the, the Garrett Cooper signing and stuff. So a lot of the stuff that I'm saying right now about third base battle could be altered by a couple of moves that are going to be need to be made, like clearing a spot for a guy named Cody Bellinger. And, you know, it's just, there's a lot of unusual rostering things that are going on right now. But as of today, those are the three. And I think Morel just takes it. What's your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't disagree. I, I don't want to use the double negatives. I, I, that is an old insurance quip. Uh, people in insurance always say, I don't disagree, which my wife pointed out to me. And it she one day just popped off on me and was, do you realize how insulting it is that you never agree with me? And I sat there and was just completely floored by this <laughs> because it was something that had become so much a part of my nomenclature. So I agree with you, Sean. I want you to know that oh, I've okay. heard you and right. I see you. But... <laughs> Yeah, the, <laughs> the ultimately, I hope she listens to this and she talks to you about this. Right. I'm sure she will. She's very supportive. Uh, I love you, Rage. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, it's yeah, it's his job to lose. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at you as a hot seat. There's a free agent out there. I've been arguing on Twitter with some folks about it. Matt Chapman. I think if the deal's right. It's hard to ignore how much that rounds out the infield defense and solves some problems. I know yeah. that there's a lot of reaction out there of what about Shaw and what about Morrell and all these other things. I, I I think there's a lot of weird issues on this roster around the edges that I thought were going to be addressed by trades. And I'm curious yeah. if the delay in the four Borisman, as they are calling them on uh, Northside baseball. That, I love that. I didn't catch yeah. that. The <laughs> they, um, I think like, I'm wondering if there's just an alternate universe of this off season where, uh, maybe morale gets dangled or there's other deals that, you know, round out this roster in a better way. And I guess there's still time. I don't know if this off season's clock is just different if it's going to, if we're going to still see some trades or is there a reasonable groundwork for the trade deadline for some of these moves? But, you know, going into the 2024 season, I'm very interested in how the bullpen is going to work out because that is going to, I mean, at times last year, I felt like that sunk this team and they did get Hector Neris, but around the edges and health wise, you know, I do have some concerns and, you know, there's some opportunities for some lefties there, but still not enough, you know, strikeout elite stuff that you want to see at the back end of the bullpen, something that Craig council will probably have to learn to manage and work around. And this isn't a rotation. That's going to be a high strikeout rotation. It's not how it's designed. It's not how the type, the pitchers that are in the rotation are. So that's another reason I'm kind of, laboring this is a very long way to get to the question you bring in a matt chapman and a contact oriented rotation you're raising the defensive floor significantly and if yes. he produces 
at an offensive level that seems, as many people have pointed out, very similar to Christopher Morrell, but with a higher defensive ceiling, I, I can't argue on a one-year deal or something that exists in that nature. That just seems like such a home run for the Cubs. Yeah, if the Cubs front office have the option to get a one- or two-year deal out of Matt Chapman, I mean, two years, 40, one year, 20, 25. How do you not make that deal? I don't care if you're close to the the luxury tax. You blow over that for that. Because as, you, as, as much as Bellinger length in the lineup, adding him and allowing Morel to maybe still get some starts at third, but move over to DH, uh, you know, spot starts in the outfield and second base. But that defense, oh my gosh. And then the, you know, a, a lot of people, I hear this a lot, that his bat is trash. His Chapman's bat is trash. And I'm like, the guy, four out of the past seven season has hit over 20 home runs. Not only that, but he's playing an elite level of defense. And yes, you're going to have fall off, but you're only signing him to a one or two year deal. Matt Shaw will probably be ready by there by then. And yeah, you might be blocking quote unquote blocking Matt Shaw for, for a year or two, but anybody who's saying that he's going to be ready and called up and just hit the ground running. That's really difficult to do, especially at a guy, his age and with so many at bats in the minor leagues. I mean, we've even seen uh, folks like Mike Trout struggle, <laughs> you know, in his first uh, in his first season and and things like that. So I think he is not an insurance policy. I, I don't want to go back to that. Matt Chapman makes this team better, so much better. I mean, like I, I it just baffles me how folks can look and not agree with adding Chapman on a one to two year deal to play third base for this Cubs team is not a good deal. It just needs to happen. Yeah. And I think that, you know, going into some of the things we talked about last week, I mean, you're the Chicago Cubs, you have an extremely high valuation. These are the types of deals that you should be able to eat in 2025 there is a huge salary drop-off, which gives them a ton of room going towards that yes. CBT with a pretty solid mix of players. Oh, next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, geez, let's let's start the campaign now. Like, is it Soto Cago? Like, is that what we're going to – like, yes. is it, it's just like show Cago, but longer and clumsier? Like, <laughs> yep. But at the, en- <laughs> at the end of the day – Carter Hawkins said when he started here, at some point you just have to get good baseball players and the rest figures itself out. I mean, can we imagine the conversation we're having about in 2016 when Dexter Fowler came back on the same exact date that Cody Bellinger signed? Creepy, right? Yeah, 224, uh, all those years apart. And But I remember the commentary then was like, where is he going to play? Like, they want to play Schwarber. There's no DH. What are they going to do? And, what, like 10 games into the season in Arizona, he climbs, he collides with an outfielder, destroys his knee, and all of a sudden that, like, 
weird roster depth we were concerned about is now a huge concern. Yep. So I in prospects are lottery tickets. They are assets that I know they're people. Let's I want to clarify, I know they're human beings, but we don't know what they are until they get to the majors. Like it, they're dreams. And I love dreams. I'm a big fan of dreams. I'm a Cubs fan. Dreams have been all I've had for most of my life. But ultimately, these guys aren't anything until they get there. And development is not linear. In this moment, when you could tell me you could make the Cubs third base production, raise that floor significantly, I'm doing that 110 times out of 100. Because... It is about winning divisions. It's about winning baseball games. And it's not my money. It's not. Well, it's some of mine. I I bought season tickets. So, like, I'm going to take credit for a good portion of Cody's contract. Unless he plays poorly, then I'm going to walk that back. Um, Yeah, you can opt out of it. But ultimately, (laughs) I just, I struggle with the idea of if the contract's right. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying don't give the guy 10 years, $300 million. That's not what I'm saying. If Boris is entertaining short-term pillow deals again, and you can get him in a one-year deal and it does not hamper what you're going to do, or the guy just takes off again and you can keep him around, and then you have some flexibility at other positions this offseason to try to address, like, I know uh, the Marlins are tripping over arms that they're looking to deal because they don't have any offense. Ding dong. Hello, Jed. Um, this is me, the Marlins. We would like some of those bats. Or yeah. we know we, there were some Boba Shet rumors this offseason. I'm really interested in watching that Toronto team because they are an extremely competitive AL East. They have some guys that are ending it, hitting that weird arbitration land where trade rumors will be legitimate if they struggle out of the gate because yep. they are going to look to maximize the amount of prospect return they can if they do not think these players are going to resign. And that will be super interesting to me, especially since there was an early tie to Boba Shet. Yes. I will be keeping an eye on that. It'll be interesting as the season develops, and it'll be interesting to see how Toronto fares in that division, because that is a tough division, and... I know it's probably going to take a lot in that situation for the like for them to be really out of it, but that is something to keep an eye on, especially with that rumor popping up that they're already thinking about what happens if this goes wrong. And yep. it definitely feels too that pivot away from like a Cody Bellinger like contract that like kept the Cubs in the Cody Bellinger contract confirmation conversation yep. is also a telling sign of let's not commit long term deals. When we have these guys running out of, you know, ARB time and we're going to have to pay them those long-term deals, we don't know what this team is. So that, that'll be super interesting not to go on that tangent. Yeah. Um, going back to a previous point, you know, we, we talked about the luxury tax and, you know, the, the comments about, you know, Tom, Tom Ricketts saying, saying that, you know, that's a soft cap for them and, they need to go over. They will go over. They like to leave a cushion for the trade deadline, all that kind of stuff. I, I look at it this way. Put a patch on the damn sleeve of the Cubs uniform and get Matt Chapman on a one-year deal. I mean, it'll pay for itself. It'll be fine. Old Style presents the Chicago <laughs> Cubs. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Win Trust Financial presents. No free ads. No free ads. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's all we have for today. I am excited to watch the spring unfold. This has been another episode of Bricks Behind the Ivy. You can find me on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you find your social media, you're probably going to find me there at Candid Cubs. And where can they find you? Always on Twitter. And I'm trying to get out of things with the uh, social medias, but Twitter has always done me right for X, whatever you want to call it. So. And here comes another shameless plug. If you do like the podcast, share it with your friends. Give us a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, if you do check out the live, or not the live, but the video on YouTube, please feel free to leave some comments. If you don't agree with us, find us on Twitter and yell at us. We love that. Maybe. So <laughs> thanks again for listening. You guys have a good day. <laughs>